With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. our second year wide receiver breakout video the comments immediately demanded another one focusing on third year receivers across the league and you asked we deliver and no person better to do that with than my friend matt Harmon. matt i honestly had a good laugh uh when looking at this list because it's four bona fide studs and then just a bunch of guys with consistent and seemingly never-ending questions um, what do you think of the group? Well, it's funny, and I appreciate you having me, Josh, as always. It's good to see. You. It's good to catch up. Um, you mentioned your second year breakout show. You guys actually dropped that like right as I was driving, um, <laughs> driving cross country, like the grouping that you guys had them in, like the three guys at the top, Jahan Dotson, tier to his own, and then the rest of the players kind of going down from there. We actually shared pretty similar thoughts, but it was striking to me thinking about over the last couple of years, how good these rookie classes have been and how awesome they've been right away. And I think there's a degree of confidence that I don't share necessarily with all of those players, but there's a degree of confidence that the uh, kind of consensus has as a whole about the 2022 rookies yeah. that I think I had about the 2021 rookies and a lot of people had about the 2021 rookies, but some of these guys, the questions group that you mentioned at the top, like there's four, there's like four kind of established oh, dudes and everybody else, like you said, has questions, but it just made me think, and I know we'll dig into all these players specifically, but like from the 2022 rookies, who's going to be kind of that Rashad Bateman? Who's going to be kind of that Elijah Moore where like three hundred sixty-five days ago, I had tremendous confidence about yes. them going into the year. And then, uh, or even like the, the group, before, who's going to be the IU? Of course, all these dudes, I, I loved, by the way, like, you know, and I just have been a little, little snake bitten with like, let me love Elijah Moore and Brandon IU. These dudes are going to get in beefs with their coaching staffs or whatever. I got to, <laughs> got to get on that trend. Chris Olave, please don't get in a beef with Dennis Allen. But my, my point is just, it's, it's interesting to track these guys through their career. And, you know, sometimes you got this degree of confidence about who they are as rookies. And then sometimes that second year can be a blip and it's sort of, which profile do you double back on? Do you double down on the talent? Do you do you double down on what you see on the field? Or, or do you start to adjust for other reasons like injuries or off-field stuff? And, and I think that's why this group in particular is really fascinating in conjunction with the rookies from last year. Love that. We'll be citing a ton during this episode. Matt Harmon's reception perception. I've been there since day one. You should be too. Uh, we'll throw out some charts that Matt has tweeted out. And as always, we'll go in ADP order and throw out a bunch of film along the way. And let's kick it off with his four names at the top, go one by one. With Jamar Chase being drafted as the second overall pick, wide receiver two overall. How I kind of want to frame these first four, Matt. Simple question. What makes Jamar Chase Jamar Chase? I think Jamar Chase... The thing I wrote about him coming into the NFL and why, uh, you know, I put up stacked rankings on the website, which is basically my board from the last three draft classes and how it stacks up together. Why Jamar Chase is the number one prospect from that group and remains the number one prospect, you know, from his time in the NFL, I think to any receiver I've seen from these last three draft classes is that he's really just not just good at everything, but exceptional at everything. Um, I think the highlight real plays, you know, the yards after catch, the contested catch stuff is really easy to see, um, you know, went into the ball off the frame like you just saw in the play there. He's consistently good at that stuff. And I think everybody kind of sees that. But there are a lot of little details to his game as a route runner. I think that kind of go understated. And, you know, I talked to him about this at the Super Bowl, uh, Josh, you know, just 
how much detail he puts into his craft as a route runner on like comebacks and stop routes and curl routes. And really the Bengals, I think, have 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 done a great job the last two postseasons mm. coming back to that stuff, right? Where all year long it's go routes, it's go routes, it's go routes. And then they really get him on those stop routes. Um, he, he told me that they call him a blink route in his offense and all this stuff, like really went into detail. The videos on the Yahoo Sports YouTube page if people want to check it out. But Plus. I think the detail as a route runner is what's so good and so underrated about him. The best way I can I can encapsulate that with Jamar Chase Jamar Chase, last, each of the last two years, has had an identical 75.3% success rate versus man coverage in reception perception, um, literally the same scores uh, each of the last two years. He, and then this past year, he went over 80% success rate versus zone and 80% success rate versus press. If you check those three, like 75 versus man, 80 and 80 against zone and press, you're pretty much like an elite wide receiver. And he did all this while still the go route being his most commonly run route, the highest percentage. Which I think people might not understand how crazy that is, but like obviously deeper routes have lower success rates overall. So the fact that he's running these go routes and is still one of the best separators in the NFL is pretty remarkable. And I think puts that technique, the route running I'm talking about into perspective. To the point of consistency, he's been the wide receiver five and wide receiver four in points per game over the last two years. But that production has been a result of almost different usage. Um I hear your point on the go routes, but there was a point last year, I think it was around week five, where this Bengals offense like really shifted their mentality. You remember it wasn't mm-hmm. deep play action, have Joe Burrow turn his helmet away from the defense. It was all just shotgun, let him see everything and let him deliver on time. And it showed up in, again, Jamar Chase's production in that he had, through the first five games, just one game higher than 11 points per contest. And then, again, they switch, and he averaged 19.7 points the rest of the season. And what I loved is, yes, as a rookie, we saw that less sticky but big play ball that he brings to the table, mm-hmm. where he had 26% of his uh, targets were deep balls. And that dropped just to 13% last year and that kind of gave us that consistent series in series out targets and production where again last year he had eight touchdowns on short to intermediate catches despite missing five games and as a rookie it was just six when he played the entire season basically and so we also saw like the jump of seven and a half targets per game up to 11.2 targets per game so we've only seen two seasons of jamar chase but basically how any top five wide receiver can have production fantasy football or in the NFL. We've seen both of those profiles with both the big plays that might be less sticky or the series in series in drive and drive out standpoint of, Hey, I'm just an elite route runner and separator and winner after the catch. And I can do both of those. A hundred percent. I think that's so important to expanding beyond just what he was as a rookie. And, and I think that it's a credit to the Bengals coaching staff really, because I think that they've been, a little criticized, right? Like Zach Taylor and the boys have been. I've been wondering who Zach Taylor was for like every year. I would say prior to post week five of last year when he like finally, I think, put his stamp and his identity of this offense, if that makes sense. Right. And, and what I think the tree of play callers that he comes from is so in, like, I mean, obviously coming from the Rams, right? Like Sean McVay uh, has been great about like when we have three receivers, like we have three receivers that are really good and dictate matchups. Like we're going to be 11 personnel team. When we don't have that, we'll be a two tight end team. You know, we'll, we'll mix this thing up with the guys that we have. And I think Zach Taylor showed he was of that like ilk last year because Jamar, I think, has shown that ability at LSU in his RP profile and his rookie RP profile that he could be that guy. And it's like, oh, yeah, we don't have to just dunk on everybody with like go routes and post routes all the time. This guy is really good at this. Let's have him do that as well. And I think it elevated both the Bengals offense and uh, Jamar Chase's production. It's almost a cheat code, too, to have the guys who set records at the college level also be teammates at the NFL level and be individual talent yeah. in the exact same. Because it's, as, as weird it's, as, I, I go back and have watched a bunch of these offenses, like going back and watching the Chargers offenses past season that ran a bunch of stick and curls and stuff. I'm sorry. And, yeah, it was awful. Um, and, but <laughs> all these stationary targets, right? And so as soon as they caught the ball, they had no yards after catch capabilities in, in many situations. Uh, Jamar, as you saw in a bunch of those spots, 
Um, the placement that Joe Burrow had and the timing he had with those throws and how he rolls with the catch Jamar Chase does to then pick up yards after it too and become a threat after the catch, uh, that really stood out. And one final point, uh, you just mentioned the tree that Zach Taylor came from. Very interesting he was not included in our friend Jordan Rodriguez's program in terms of with all of that tree and Zach Taylor not in there. That kind of maybe speaks to him still flying under the radar among that grouping that he came from. Yeah, a great, great show. I binged it over the weekend it's while so uh, doing some charting. It's it's great. It's great to hear all these guys. And I agree, Zach was kind of the guy that wasn't necessarily included. And I have heard he's a little like less uh, open, yeah. you know, um, but probably maybe, not going to do television in his future. Let's put it that way. No, no. <laughs> but I think I, one thing I've heard from every Bengals player, you know, I've talked to or um, and I think really after uh, the DeMar Hamlin stuff and everything with this past season, like that was one thing to me where I like who is Zach there was a play caller. I think we got that last year. But talking to Bengals players, seeing him in that situation, I think it was like I think, you know, real scheme dorks like us and, and, and you know, film heads and stuff. It's like, oh, Zach Taylor leaves a little bit to be desired. But man, they they really do love him as like a a leader and a program builder and stuff like that. I think he showed a lot of that this past year. I'm on Ross St. Brown is next being drafted an underdog fantasy right now. Wide receiver nine, 14 overall. Again, we'll open what makes Amon Ross St. Brown. Amon Ross St. Brown. Well, you know, this is a player uh, that if you read his uh, prospect profile, I compared him to like a Bud Light version of Cooper Cup uh, coming to the NFL. And then he ended up going to the Lions where, you know, Brad Holmes comes from that Rams tree uh, from the front office perspective. Jared Goff is quite literally the former Rams quarterback. Uh, So I was like, oh, this is a seamless kind of uh, connection here. I really thought he was a very underrated prospect. Generally, I was kind of surprised he fell all the way to the fourth. You know, he went behind guys like Amari Rogers. I mean, come on. What are what are we doing here with that? Uh, but you know, not to relitigate history, I think what what makes him such a good player is his feel for zone coverage. That was apparent uh, in his rookie season RP profile, where he went over eighty percent success rate versus zone. It was apparent again in his second year profile, eighty one point eight percent success rate versus zone coverage. Um, he really does just make so much sense as a power slot player he made sense to power slot prospect he may, he's just been that guy in the nfl i think he is right there when you're ranking like slot guys i think what's interesting about him and i think what he kind of took his game to another level because i was very in on saint brown uh, you know last year in fantasy drafts i was very in on him just as a player that you know it's kind of funny to think about it now how much like doubt there was around. I mean, he was like consensus ranked wide receiver 25, you know, at, at different times last year. And I think a lot of people had questions about can he continue to earn targets at the rate that he did uh, where, you know, DeAndre Swift was missing and DJ Hawkinson was missing at the end of his rookie season. And it's like if you watch him play and you just think about how he fits with the quarterback that he's playing with, it's like, oh, yeah, he's going to continue to get that volume. But I think he even took another step as a second year player. And really, you see that in his man coverage success rates, 70.5% uh, as a second-year player, where he was closer to 60% as a rookie-year player. And I think that ability to win in isolation around the goal line is very key for if he continues to take those steps. Yep. Is he going to be more than just a power slot player? You know, I think that is kind of an open question if he'll ever be a downfield threat. I- I'm not sure. You know, that's going to be the offseason buzz with him. I think it already has been at different times. I want to get more downfield plays but he's so good um in instances around the red zone where i think he could have like a 10 touchdown season at some point uh because he can beat man coverage down there in addition to how good he is at feeling out zones that's definitely what i want to talk about because his 292 targets are the most of any receiver that they've seen in the first two seasons of their nfl career but to your point just six touchdowns this past year and like he historically hasn't been the focal point of a passing game, or let's just say an offense, not passing game, an offense inside the 10 or inside of the 20 yard line. But guess what? The major change is this year for the Detroit Lions. No Jamal Williams, like no one on the Lions <laughs> yeah. is going to get 45 carries inside the 10 yard line this season, even if they believe Josh, probably nobody in the NFL is going to get 45 carries inside the 10. But I mean, by all the words that they've used, the Lions believe, and I, I agree, have improved on their running back talents, but that still doesn't mm-hmm. mean that one of these guys is going to get 45 opportunities. And so to me, that points to, okay, Jared Goff is probably going to get a spike in touchdowns, and so is Amon Ross St. Brown. Um, 
what I always love, and you and I have been talking about this and using this phrase for like a decade at this point, a wide receiver is not a wide receiver is not a wide receiver. Like all of them do right. very different things. And RP does a great job of outlining that. Um, we go from Jamar Chase and what he thrives on, which is every area of the field, but so many highlights down the field to now I'm on Ross St. Brown. 101 of his targets last season were less than 10 yards down the field. And he was still the yeah. wide receiver 10 in points per game. So to your point, like, Hey, I'm not going to call him a boring wide receiver, but man, his ability versus zone and how Ben Johnson schemes him open. Those are all positives in his corner. But if we want to unlock the ceiling, as you said, it's more downfield plays and simply more touchdowns. And I think especially the latter is more possible this season. Yeah. It's, it's funny thinking about, Jamar Chase and then Amon Ross St. Brown together right. because it's just like, you know, one is a true vertical X receiver who can line up and play anywhere. Like if if the Bengals wanted for whatever reason Jamar Chase to play Amon Ross St. Brown's role, he could do that. Um, whereas I don't know that Amon Ross St. Brown's ever going to be playing Jamar. Well, let me say, I, I, I do know based on what we've seen from him as a player, he's probably not going to play in that role ever. I don't think it would be wise to exploit his skill set. My questions with, with St. Brown are really not as much about him as a player, because I think I've got a really good understanding about who he is as a player. And I love him as a player. I do think you can ask questions about what's the ceiling on this player from a production standpoint. And definitely when you're starting to rank NFL receivers from a non-fantasy perspective, you know, where do you value this? Right. Yeah. Do you value this or do you value like, yeah, Jalen Waddle or T Higgins or one yeah. of some of these other guys. I think it's it's kind of like, what's your flavor? Which is, which is, as you said, a wide receiver is not a wide receiver, is not a wide receiver. These guys are all so different. But from a fantasy angle, I actually think that the question really isn't so much about who St. Brown is, is as a player. It really is about the environment uh, that the Detroit Lions are in right now because I love Ben Johnson as a, as a coordinator. I think Jared Goff is kind of steadied his career after you know being thrown in the trash by Sean McVay well, so the offensive line is good so like so yeah. Jared Goff is going to be productive like that's yeah, so he's going to be like an above average I think he's a, an above average NFL quarterback generally and in this environment he can be very very efficient my question really Josh is like okay Jamison Williams is suspended for the first six games we also by the way have zero clue who Jamison Williams is as a, a player at this point. Yep. The other dudes on this roster are like Josh Reynolds, Marvin Jones, um, you know, Khalif Raymond still kicking around here, right? Like that's it. Who, who, who is catching passes beyond 15 yards this year for the Detroit Lions? Cause they've got, you know, gadgety receiver running back and Jameer Gibbs. They've got St. Brown who we have outlined is probably never going to be a downfield threat. And then you've got Sam Laporta who is a rookie tight end. That's kind of a slow burn position anyways. But even if he gets going, he's going to still be in that kind of box. So I think the circumstances that took Cooper Cup from being an incredibly solid, rock solid, big slot, power slot receiver to being, you know, record breaking, like breaking fantasy in 2021 were, I do think he took his individual game to another level. There, there is that. But I also think that a lot of it is circumstantial. It's the quarterback. It's what was going on around the, him because of the quarterback change. Again, that's not taking anything away from Cooper Cup, but it's like if St. Brown's going to get to that, I don't, not even that kind of ceiling, but like 75% of that kind of ceiling. I do. My biggest question is just the environment around him, not the player. Yeah. And I brought up Jamal Williams carries inside the 10 yard line. This fact shocked me, and it came from Colton Pouncey of, of The Athletic. Did you know that? Lions tight ends last year set a franchise record for touchdowns with 12. And this was even after TJ Hawkinson. I mean, to me, that speaks to Ben Johnson as this play caller and getting guys open with lesser talents. Cause it's not just, he had an alpha player there at all. It was just the concepts and, and those guys being wide open. And so even if that goes down, there's even more opportunity here for Amon Ross. Yeah. All right. Yeah. My, yeah, that's great. That's a good call. Jalen Waddle up next wide receiver 11. 16 overall, we go from Chase to Amon Ross St. Brown to now, what makes Jalen Waddle Jalen Waddle? Uh, well, number one, he's super fast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you, Matt, one of the coolest sights in football is when Jalen Waddle puts his head down and just breaks away from the entire defense. Like I've always compared it like yeah. Ted Ginn and how he did it. And Jalen Waddle, while being a better receiver than Ted Ginn, yeah. has that same ability just to put his head down and just speed past everyone else on the field. You know, I a couple of weeks ago, I set off kind of like uh, 
like I did this thing in my discord where I had like a throwaway comment while discussing. Um, I was actually discussing Deontay Johnson, uh, one of my least favorite players to talk about online ever, because it's just like, what a, what Hayden's a not here. Sorry. space. Yeah. We, yeah. Hayden's not here. Uh, so we can, we can talk about it, but no, seriously. Uh, I think I said something basically where like, yeah, you know, average depth of target is not a wide receiver stat. And then like, I logged out of the discord and came back like two hours later and I'd set off this giant art, like discussion about whether this was true or not. I was like, Hey, you know, it's kind of a throwaway comment. And what I meant by that is, it's not only a wide receiver stat, um, which I think makes sense a little bit more sense, even though sometimes it can be very like a dot is very sticky. And typically it does define like where a player wins and stuff like that. But Jalen Waddle was a great example where it's like if you looked at his average depth of target as a rookie and you looked at his um, you know, yards per catch and stuff like that, and you thought that was descriptive of who Jalen Waddle is as a player, you were completely kidding yourself because Jalen Waddle showed in college that while being a vertical play, he actually was a you know very vertical player his final year in college, and he still led all receivers that I charted from that draft class in success rate versus man coverage. I mean, he can rip it downfield. He can really do a lot from his own coverage perspective, too. And I think that's actually, if we're talking about what makes him a great player, it is the speed, it is the downfield ability, you know, the success rate on post routes, corner routes, nine routes, stuff like that. But the thing that really stood out to me in his second season was his ability on dig routes, his ability on out routes, especially against zone coverage. Like, he has an incredible feel of when to cross guys' face. He has an incredible feel of when to, you know, get open with a second move in zone coverage and present himself on a dig route, you know, to Tua, which is kind of a lot of what Debo Samuel has done with the 49ers. And Jimmy Garoppolo, for all of Jimmy's flaws and, and the legit criticism you could have about Jimmy, he will rip that thing. Uh, against zone coverage on a dig route to Debo Samuel. And we see a lot of that with Tua and Jalen Waddle. So his feel for zone coverage, 81.8% success rate, while running a lot of downfield routes, is pretty special. To your point, he averaged 7.1 air yards per target as a rookie, then averaged 12.6 air yards per target in 2022. Um, this Dolphins offense was so special in the first half of last season. Uh he had 11.7 yards per target, not per catch, 11.7 yards per target last <laughs> yeah. season. And so like, no matter what, Matt, no matter how much we love Jalen Waddle's talent, that is just naturally going to go down. And yeah. but one of the coolest things that I saw was when you just sort by PFF and you look at who leads the league in yards after the catch per reception, it's Debo Samuel, it's Rondell Moore, and then it's Jalen Waddle. But the major difference between that is that Debo and Jalen Wa- and, and uh, Rondell Moore had an average depth of target of about five yards. And yeah. again, Jalen Waddle was at 12 yards. So it's like downfield. And then he's still ludicrous after the catch. And the craziest part is 49% of the team's targets, the Dolphins, who threw, I think, the 11th most passes in the league last year went to Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. And you just don't get that type of condensed target volume going to two elite players across the league. It's just a real question of final portion of the season to a concussions to go along with not calling it a blueprint, but defenses handling this spacing middle of the field targets, intermediate and downfield that the dolphins were crushing opponents on. They handled it much better towards that uh, end of the season. And so do the Dolphins now have a counterpunch? Because many factors played into it, but they just didn't have that counterpunch towards the end of last season. And I do think some of that, we some of the blame for that, a lot of it is the quarterback where you can say, hey, when you disrupt the timing of routes with man and press coverage, even if you have one, an elite receiver in Tyree Kill who can beat press man coverage and has been beating press man coverage at an elite rate basically his entire career. Um, it, it doesn't matter. You're still going to slow those routes down than you are if you're sitting back in soft zone because you're afraid to get burned over the top. But I think of the two receivers, the guy who's not bad against press man coverage but is a little weaker, you know, Jalen Waddle, 69.7% success rate versus man, 58th percentile among receivers charted since 2014, 70.2% success rate versus press, 62nd percentile. I, that's not, those are not bad numbers. Those are pretty good numbers, you know, uh, obviously top half of the league, but 
I think that's where Jalen Waddle needs to grow a little as a player in order to not just become just better in terms of individual rankings, wide receivers, stuff like that, but to help the offense along with some of the issues that they were you know, running in against the second half of the year and beyond that. And the other question you have to ask yourself is, do you want Nick Chubb or Jalen Waddle in your drafts? Um, because yeah, and like I that. want Nick Chubb. Right. Yeah, like I like I really want Nick Nick Chubb. In compar- I, I really struggle, honestly, and we're t- it just it's funny. Like the next guy we're going to talk about, I believe, is fits into this group as well. But I struggle with like these second wide receivers on their teams, and they're all great players. Like yeah. T Higgins is a great player. Jalen Waddle is a great player. Devontae Smith is a great player, and I think I'm relatively confident to varying degrees that all those guys could be number one receivers on a different team, but they're not the number one receiver on this team because Tyreek Hill is better than Jalen Waddle, AJ Brown is better than Devontae Smith, and T. Higgins is not as good as Jamar Chase. So I struggle with this tier generally in, in fantasy drafts when like there's a couple, I mean, just guys before and after them that are are more so number one targets on their teams. Yeah. The second round running backs uh and third round just look beautiful right now. Okay, yeah. let's go to that next guy. Devontae Smith in that same group in. Wide receiver 13, 22 overall. Uh, big leap for him this past season. Many factors why. But in your eyes, what makes Devontae Smith Devontae Smith? I mean, just a beautiful route runner. And and I don't I don't know if this is a hot take, or but it's probably not the consensus opinion. But like if we're looking at those 1B or the number two receiver that I just th- talked about, that grouping there of T. Higgins, Jalen Waddle, and Devontae Smith, like I think. Smith is the best player of those three. And I'm very, very, very confident in that opinion that like if one of these guys was to be a one elsewhere, the guy I think that would be best at that duty is Devontae Smith. Look, does he benefit from having A.J. Brown? And I think the Eagles actually among any among any offense puts defenses in a bind more basically more than any others. I do think you mentioned Nick Chubb. I think the Cleveland Browns could kind of replicate mm. this dynamic this year, but that's a topic for a different time. Um but the fact that they have a mobile quarterback, a great run game, an alpha wide receiver one, an excellent separator at that second receiver position, a guy who can make these kind of freaky body control catches. That's one of the things that makes him special is the body control. But like that, And also like this tight end screen merchant in Dallas Goddard. I can't think of many other offenses that put defenses in, in quite a bind in terms of where do you did dedicate extra attention. But for Devontae Smith specifically, his ability to win – at, you know, 170 pounds, quote unquote, right? Whatever he actually weighs, I don't know. But the guy's ability to beat press coverage at that size is just exceptional. A 78.8% success rate versus press coverage last year. Um, as a prospect, he was at 78.9% his final year at Alabama. Um, in the NFL in his first year, he was at 78%. I mean, this, and that's a great score. Great, great score. While also playing as the vertical X receiver in this offense, because that was my biggest question, Josh, about A.J. Brown and uh, Devontae Smith and how they were going to pair together. Because early in A.J. Brown's career, he was like a big X receiver on the outside, but then he moved to kind of like off the line as a flanker and a little bit more slot stuff the final year in Tennessee when Julio Jones got there because Julio Jones is one of the best X receivers of all time. And I was curious if the Eagles would take him, which role they'd put him in because Smith was an X receiver in his rookie year and – they left him there in his second year, and he was still getting open at this rate. Uh, I mean, I think he's an awesome player. Uh, not running a not running a Mickey Mouse route tree at all, and <laughs> yeah. still getting open at an incredible level. So many of the points you hit on, I was going to hit on as well. Um, the first being when teams go single high against the Philadelphia Eagles, and you're forced to because of just this duo or inside zone running game, um, you're screwed because then you have to defend on islands. A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith on these vertical routes. And I know this is a Smith conversation, but with A.J. Brown, he had more catches outside the numbers of 20-plus yards down the field this past season than he did cumulatively for the rest of his entire career. So, like, we saw that ability to be a ball winner. And the other point I wanted to hit on, as you said, 170-ish pounds, whatever it is for Devontae Smith, he plays big and he plays long. You just have to go back and watch that commander's game. And he is just mossing people. Left and right, he he plays outside of his frame to an incredible degree. And where I think that we can get some, and it's weird to say this, value, and why there still might be a ceiling that we haven't seen for four quarters of this Philadelphia Eagles offense, and Hayden pointed this out, 
Jalen Hurts completed just 2.67 passes per game in fourth quarters last year because they were blowing everyone out. You know? yeah. Now, in order to blow people out, you have to put up points in the scoreboard and mm-hmm. you know, you're way up. And that means fantasy points for all of us at all these positions. But like, let's say in three or four or six or seven more games next season, they have to be pedaled to the floor for all four quarters. Here we have, you know, Devontae Smith and AJ Brown that probably can at least replicate the targets that they got last year. And from week nine through the Super Bowl, according to Rich Rebar, Devontae Smith out-targeted AJ Brown. So these are both alphas. They're both alphas. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I, I, again, I feel the most confident among this like tier of second receiver. And he goes, I think he goes third among them in drafts, right? Um, you know, with T. Higgins, Jalen Waddle. But it's just, I, I think he is incre- an incredible player um, that could that could be a number one receiver anywhere else. It's just AJ Brown is like, I don't care. I don't care where you end up slotting him. He has top five wide receiver talent. Um, it's, it's a tough break when you play across from that guy. <laughs> but hey, you're going to win games. That's fun. Uh, to you're your point, him. he just eclipsed T. Higgins, who is now going one wide receiver spot after him. And I'll cite Reeves one more time and go back to the point about this team not having to put the pellets to the floor. Devontae Smith was a wide receiver seven in first half fantasy scoring last season and the wide receiver 24 in second halves. Yeah. Just 12 receptions and 19 targets uh, in those four quarters. Okay, so we've done the headliners, Matt. Now we jump into the second grouping, the ones with continuous questions literally every single season. Um, Before we get into that group, where are you at on like the idea of face planters? You know that like if a player has not shown either production-wise, charting-wise, combination of the two in their first two years, they haven't made their mark in their opening two seasons, then they're just not going to do it. I mean, I think it's a little bit silly. Like, I think we're we're, we're kind of really jumping the shark in in defining who these guys are from from a two year perspective. Like, I think the third year breakout is still very much alive, um, and it it depends on what it depends on what they chart out as. Yeah, I think I think that's really what it is for me. Like, look for somebody you know that hasn't made a statistical impact, but who has been great from in an isolation perspective or i'm still very much in on them nico collins great example uh you know this is a guy who he i think is a really good player but it hasn't happened yet this dude started two games i think at least two games with kyle allen last year okay and you and i josh know that that is like that is not not a good place to be okay nope. no disrespect for kyle allen but it is what it is then there are guys like maybe Terrace Marshall or Josh Palmer who, look, they've just been net negatives when they've been on the field from like a consistent route-by-route route basis. Um, maybe they can find certain roles. Like I think Terrace Marshall, good example of a guy who could be – he runs he runs a go route and he runs a slant route and that's about it and he wins in contest situations. He could be a, a – I think he could be better than DJ Chark, but that's not a high bar to, to set. So I think it's, it's just defining what role and what expectation they have for players like that. But for guys that just haven't broken out yet for – for a litany of reasons, it depends on the excuse and it depends on what, uh, like where they, like how they play and, and how they've played in isolation, which is, I mean, obviously is why I do what I do. First up, Kadarius Tony, right now being drafted as wide receiver 37, 73rd overall. And if you listen to some media reports out there, maybe look at the depth charts too, he's being projected as their quote unquote wide receiver one. So now on his second team and making impacts and maybe not pure wide receiver ways. Uh, where are you at on Kadarius Tony right now? Okay, look, here's the, the, the top level thing with Tony is that if he is going to be the Chiefs number one wide receiver, like in that sense of what a wide receiver one is, he is going to have to do things that we have never seen him do in, at Florida rookie year with the Giants or last year with the Chiefs, okay? And that's just period, point blank. Maybe he does do it, but we have there is little to no evidence that he can actually be that guy. Um, with the Chiefs last year, and look, I realize he came to a team in the middle of the season, um, but they used him as like almost purely a gadget player. And I look, I, he's really good as a gadget player, okay? Like he's really good in, in these situations. Um, it is kind of funny. Like I wrote this note in his profile. Um, Kadarius Tony, like a, a full profile for reception perception, is an eight game sample. I did get eight games on Kadarius Tony, but it's like 127 snaps and 76 routes. So keep that in mind uh, when I'm talking about some of these metrics. But yeah, I mean, this is a guy who 
was off the line for 69.3% of the sample snaps, was in the slot for 27.6%, and was in the backfield as a pre-snap motion guy or just purely lined up in the backfield, 17.6% of his sampled um, snaps. It's just that that's ways to get him in space. It's ways to get him off like traditional wide receiver um, stuff because he just doesn't beat press man coverage. 52.1% success rate versus man um, and 50% uh, as a rookie second year and first year there. So he's just not that guy. He's not a route runner. He's not a traditional receiver in that sense, but he is incredible after the catch. He's incredible in open space. And I think he could be a very, very, very valuable player to the chiefs in that role. But again, it's really tough to bet on. We just haven't seen him do any of that stuff yet in the NFL, like traditional number one wide receiver things. I mean, football can feel like really, I'm not going to call it boring, but monotonous might be a better word. And so, Matt, whenever I see a player who moves like Kadarius Tony, it just gets me excited, you know? Totally. And so I, I have bought in in the past, 100%. But I, I keep going back to this idea of, okay, are we really going to get one wide receiver to stand out from the rest on the Chiefs? Or is it just going to be, once again, we have Travis Kelsey, and then based on matchup, situation, personnel grouping, play call, someone else, because they have other guys that have talents, whether it be their other big tight ends that they have or these other wide receivers who, who can step up in, in that area of the game and make plays. And to me, that is more likely than one Kadarius Tony, you know, ascending to the top of the wide receiver group. And that's how he's being drafted as, you know, Tony's yeah. being drafted as wide receiver 38, Sky Moore. Or roughly wide receiver 54 the last time I checked, Rasheed Rice, MVS, even Richie James going after wide receiver 60. I will say, Matt, I'm going to throw back 2021 tape here for Kadarius Tony. And am I an idiot for holding on to his games against the Cowboys, the Saints, even the Rams, and think like, okay, there is something here? Because to me, there was like legit wide receiver routes to some of this. And I just want to latch on to that more than the Miko Hardman plus stuff that we saw a bit last season, if that makes sense. I think you see, so his rookie season, he had around like an 80% success rate versus zone coverage, which is a pretty solid number. Uh, and, and some of that is manufactured stuff. Some of the, the Mickey Mouse stuff we've talked about, but I agree with you. One of the things that he was good at as a rookie Slant routes, dig routes, um, those Debo Samuel things I was talking about. Uh, and I think that's where Debo gets a lot of, like he's kind of a misunderstood player because we get really caught up in the gadgety stuff. But he does do, he doesn't do every like big boy wide receiver thing really well. He's not the best like press man coverage beater on the outside, stuff like that. But he's got a great feel for his own coverage. He's got a great ability to like work over the middle of the field. And I think Tony can do that stuff. But again, it's from a consistency perspective. There's been a few moments, but there's just not been a lot of consistent stuff on like curl routes, on um, you know slant routes against man coverage. You see it in, in isolation, but it's not enough for me to to really get too like crazy with the projection. I think there's just there's like maybe 15% positive plays, and like the rest are are not what you want to see from a man co- man press coverage perspective. And I I'm with you that the way I view the Chiefs receivers is like when you have Patrick Mahomes, you can do this. We just, I mean, we just saw it last year, obviously, but even a guy like Juju, and I think Juju has gone from being like one of the most overrated players in the NFL to one of the most underrated players in the NFL where people think he like stinks. It's like, oh, well, why can't Sky Moore get on the field? All he has to do is just beat out Juju Smith-Schuster. It's like, yo, Juju's like a really good NFL veteran. And like he's one of the better zone coverage receivers in the NFL. But even he was like, we're going to pick our spots with Juju because right. like Patrick Holmes can pin it on like Noah Gray or Jody Forston or whatever, you know, 25 yards down the field on a big time play that that's designed really well. So I don't see it. And I like Sky Moore. I I'm in on Sky Moore from where, where he's going. I think he could fit. He's not Juju stylistically, but I think that role is the best one for him now that he's like, learned how to, you know, drive on the right side of the road and speak the, speak the language of this offense and stuff like that yeah. going from, yeah. you know, so low level of college but even him i don't i don't think he's going to be like 140 target type player or anything like that and even we're getting back to this point mvs is still like their most prototypical outside wide receiver body in a way because how they're speaking over she rice it seems like they want to make him that almost power slot um we'll see i think there's a ton of 
interesting questions heading into training camp about that group. Okay. Have you ever been on vacation after a long day of activities or sightseeing? You have a night in room service, bathrobes, and television or movies. And when you're in a foreign country, you scroll Netflix or Hulu or whatever streaming service you have. And you realize that the library of content there is so much larger than it is in the United States. You start a new show, a new series. And when you get back home, you realize you now have to find that on a different service or pay for it in a different way. That is where Surfshark comes in. It's a VPN service that lets you virtually travel the world with a tap of a finger. You can go to Spain, Canada, Costa Rica to watch the content available in those countries. So you can try Surfshark today, totally risk-free with a 30-day money-back guarantee. And get Surfshark VPN at surfshark.deals underdog or enter promo code underdog for three extra months for free. You heard me right, three extra months for free. That is surfshark.deals slash underdog. Elijah Moore is up next. Wide receiver 44, 87 overall. A guy who was also uh, on his second team during his rookie contract, just his third year. When isolating Elijah Moore last season from the disastrous quarterback play, how'd he do? Pretty solid. I mean, not as good as he did his rookie year. Uh, I think clearly he wasn't in the right headspace. Uh, look, you don't you don't go and get in a fight with your coaching staff when you're on like a five game win streak or whatever. Just not how I would have handled things. Not that you asked for my advice, but not how I would have handled things. Uh, I, I think though, when you look at him from a man coverage perspective, seventy two point seven percent success rate last year from a press coverage standpoint, seventy five point eight percent success rate versus press coverage. This guy is a really good route runner and knows how to get open. I think at all three receiver spots. That's what's interesting about him from a rookie year perspective. He was playing a lot of like X receiver on the outside. He played a little more slot last year when they it's like he, he's kind of similar to not not to the same degree, but it's pretty similar with like what we talked about with Devontae Smith and AJ Brown. It's like, yeah, you're great, but you're not as good as that guy. Okay. Uh and and with Elijah Moore, even last year, like the the minute you see Garrett Wilson, you're like, Yeah, this is different. I mean, his right. his RP profile as a rookie is way is way better than Elijah Moore's. And I like Elijah Moore. So I think he kind of is like, all right, well, what do we do with Elijah? Do we put him as a slot player? I think we could do that. But I think he can win uh, at all three levels. And I think he can win pretty much from any alignment. Um, he's he's a great example of a guy that, yeah, there are clear reasons why he has not had that breakout season. And his his performance from a reception perception standpoint, rookie year, second year, the ups and downs of that. Uh, is very similar to Brandon Ayuk. And I, I, that's why I kind of am holding out hope for him as a player. No, I don't think he's going to be the same type of player as Ayuk. And I think Ayuk is going to be just straight up better. I mean, I love Brandon Ayuk, but that's that's a different oh. show. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know we're on the same page. Brandon Ayuk show, the only one. Yeah, I mean, we, that should be it. We could do 45 minutes on just Brandon Ayuk, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, but no, I, I think that he has he is a similar like okay there was clearly an issue with the coaching staff I think he right. can get the Cleveland like I said I think could put defenses in a real bind Josh because I've just put up Amari Cooper's uh, reception perception profile and he's, and he's a he's a player I've been pretty critical of yeah. uh, over the course of his career because he's so, he is so inconsistent and so volatile that's a funny one where people it's like well why is he so inconsistent in fantasy it's like well, because he's an inconsistent player yeah. but I think he had his best year last year. And I think it wasn't even close. So I kind of love these two guys as a tandem. like that a lot. Um, the Browns used far more 11 personnel last year than they did in the previous years was Kevin Stefanski. 76.8% um, of their passing plays were 11 personnel. And obviously, you just talked about Amari Cooper might be playing his best football and will remain the headliner. But after that, it's Elijah Moore and then just a bunch of the same nobodies in ways. And like Amari Cooper got 132 targets last season. Donovan Peoples-Jones got 96. Do you want to guess who the next closest wide receiver on the team to get targets was? I mean, dude, David Bell was out there getting his cardio in. I know that. Uh, it, you know, David Bell. Was, and I felt like David Bell didn't even play during his rookie season. And he was next dude, to at 35 targets. Yo, same on feeling. But like, I remember when I was going to do the in-season rookie report, which I do every year. I put like four game samples up of these players. And I was I was looking at who like had played enough to qualify, and I was like, David Bell has played like a lot. He, he's run, a lot. I mean, a lot, and he was not getting a lot of targets. And let me tell you what, there was a reason he wasn't getting a lot of targets. So um, I, I mean, I'm 
I'm interested to see where he falls in this in this like mess of receivers. Uh, you know, they drafted Cedric Tillman, and I think Donovan Peoples Jones is an NFL player, but like he's not a guy you need to be your second. You, you can't you can't be your second receiver. Elijah Moore absolutely can be. It's always interesting to look at NFL season projections and the pick and page over on Underdog Fantasy. Uh, Elijah Moore right now is at just 515 and a half receiving yards. Is his higher or lower? DPJ is right there at 500 and a half. Okay. Yeah. David Njoku is at 560. And obviously, Amari Cooper is all the way up there at 905 and a half. There's been so much talk this offseason of the Browns throwing more often. And I buy it. Again, living in this 11 personnel. Um, is going to indicate that and also running the ball with Nick Chubb is going to be easier because he's seeing fewer heavy boxes than he has in his past uh, because of the spacing that Kevin Stefanski creates. Yeah, I'm going to go down the ship with Elijah Moore. That's for totally. Sure. Um, totally. Speaking of Rashad Bateman's next. <laughs> <laughs> Why 45? So one spot after 88 overall. Uh, it's always interesting to look back in the Ravens offense last year, and it's totally different and should be hopefully this year. Yeah. But the opening three games when Rashad Bateman was on the field was when Lamar Jackson had 10 touchdown passes. And, you know, we saw a few of those, like the Miami Dolphins game uh, brings back memories where it was isolated coverage on the backside and Bateman was almost used as a vertical player. And then as soon as Bateman was lost, basically for the rest of the season, the next nine games, Lamar Jackson had just seven total touchdown passes so it's weird we haven't seen that much football from Rashad Bateman and now we get a totally new offense and new pieces brought in uh what are your expectations or who is even Rashad Bateman as an NFL player because it's been very different than what I expected with him coming out of Minnesota what do you mean well uh, just what do you mean by like it was different than what you expected I'm not I might agree I might not I'm not sure so I thought Bateman almost would be a target like commanding more targets more of a volume player and more of like a inside breaking route dirty player versus down the field playmaking but maybe that's what the ravens almost forced him to be after trading marquise brown and using obviously mark andrews in areas when sitting in zone coverage and dominating in that area yeah, I think I think maybe it, do, it does have to do with some of the, the players around him and like just what you want out of your number one receiver in that offense. And we're talking about the Greg Roman offense, which really is not the is, is doesn't matter anymore at this point because it's over and done with. But um, <laughs> it, it is funny because, yeah, it's not a coincidence why Lamar Jackson's passing stats fell off a cliff when Rashad Bateman was not out there. One, because I think Bateman is a difference maker, but two, the drop off from Bateman to the other guys on that roster. Marcus Robinson. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, it was a disaster. And obviously they're going to have way different. uh, But I like this play against the Dolphins is a great example. There's a lot of plays against the Dolphins that are are a really good example of who Rashad Bateman is from a vertical perspective and also a man coverage beating perspective. But in addition to that, I think he's way better after the catch than people like gave him credit for as a collegiate prospect. Like if you look at the broken tackle data on reception perception from that 21 draft class, he was up there, like not quite Kadarius Tony. Nobody is quite Kadarius Tony as a tackle breaker, except Devo Samuel. But like Bateman was up there in terms of multiple broken tackles broken when he was in space. Uh, So I I think that he's, he's another guy that is, I mean, not quite Jamar chase, obviously, but he is really good at everything. And I think that's what makes him such a good player is that, He's good after the catch. He's got good ball skills in contested situations. He had some drop issues last year, but like he only played five games or something right. like that, you know. And it really was like one or two games where it was it was a problem. But overall, I think he's got good hands, and he's certainly certainly a really good route runner. So yeah, this is one I'm I'm I think I'm even more willing to go down with the ship if you take injury if you if God would turn injuries off, which isn't going to happen. But like you know, if the NFL would turn injuries off, like. From a just player perspective, I'm way more in on even Rashad Bateman than I am on Elijah Moore, who I just said I'm very bullish and very confident in. Yeah. I mean, both drafters and the risk team over at Underdog like have no clue how to handle this wide receiver grouping. Because yeah. as you can see, it's 575 receiving yards projected for Odell Beckham, 599 for Zay Flowers, 600 for Rashad Bateman. And if we just go to the ADPs of this grouping, I mean, it's... Right. 45 for Rashad Bateman, 46 for Zay Flowers, then 53 for Odell. How would you tier that? How, how would you rank that, Matt? I, I think it's 
I think I'd probably go Bateman Beckham Flowers. Um, and I because I like all these guys, and I'm so ready to get my heart broken by this receiver core, is what I said after they after they drafted um Zay Flowers, because I love I love Zay Flowers as a prospect, and I think he is gonna be um an explosive player and that can line up at all three positions. That's what you saw from him in college. A guy who could win at X receiver, a guy who could win at flanker, and a guy who certainly can obviously win uh, as a vertical slot option. Love him as a player. It's obviously, he's a rookie. Is he going to be more of a front half guy? Or is he going to be more of a back half guy? Beckham, last time we saw him, was not. He's never going to be at the level of. I th- it's funny when people say this and like think it's sort of re- like a revelatory thing. He's not the player he was with the Giants. Well, th- I mean, no kidding, no, no, obviously. But he last time we Rams too, like so good. Yeah, it was really good. When you think back to that team and what they tried to replace him with. With Allen Robinson, it makes sense because what Cooper Cup and Tyler Higby yeah. kind of like on the front side in, in terms of throwing inside the red zone, no team throws more inside the red zone than the Rams. And so what you got was like an isolated player in Odell Beckham, who at his peak is a player who can win big and win small. And we saw it with like this fades. We've also seen it with slants and creating instant separation. Um, if he still has that, like that is a very usable trait. And hopefully he does because Odell is a fascinating player when on the field. Yeah, I think he, it's funny if you, and people hate this kind of analysis, but it's just the truth of the matter is that if you told me Bateman was the number one receiver, I wouldn't be surprised. If you told me Flowers was the number one receiver, I wouldn't be surprised. If you told me Beckham was the number one receiver, I wouldn't be surprised. And that's not to, just because all three of these guys are very good. They're just, they all have different questions. It's health for, it's health. In fact, we haven't seen him in a long time for Beckham. Right. It's health with Bateman. And it's just Zay Flowers is a rookie. If he ends the season, he's better than these two guys. I wouldn't be surprised. I did like Bateman better than Flowers as a prospect. And I think for the most part, we've seen what we wanted to see in isolation from Rashad Bateman as a player. It just hasn't been um, long. One thing I think, too, is that like I think the conventional wisdom is that it doesn't matter because Mark Andrews is still the number one receiver for this team. I don't know that I agree with that necessarily. Like I think Andrews is a very good player, but I don't think it's so... I, I think if Bateman hit his ceiling, he could be better. He could be a number one receiver on this team more than Mark Andrews. And I think the same thing with Flowers and Beckham's just obviously a little harder to say. Yeah, and it's just, I think, very difficult to wrap our brain around what this offense is going to look like because they're going to attack more airs of the field too. You know, like yeah. out for the numbers has not been an area where Lamar Jackson has thrown to that often in the past. And hopefully we get more of that this season. Okay, two more names. Nico Collins, wide receiver 55, 119 overall. Dare I say... He is the most obvious sleeper wide receiver among this fantasy football bubble that we live in. I dare you to find an analyst uh, who doesn't like him. I'm sure you can do it, but uh, it, it's <laughs> it's true that I think he's he's a great example, Josh. Of um, if we get two like two training camp positive reports or like highlights or whatever, he's going to probably go. Like, where does he go right now in, in underdog drafts? Yeah. Wide receiver 55, the area of like people drafted in that area that you have to take him over um, is like Khalil Herbert, Devon A. Chain, Damian Harris, and like Aaron Rodgers. But that's what, like round 11 something? Yeah. 120 yeah, overall, like, basically. So round 10. Yeah. Yeah, so around 10, 11. He's going to be like an eighth round pick in, in under, like in your, with your freaks over there on underdog. Like he'll be, and I say that endearingly, you guys keep the lights on and we love you. But like, you know, you guys that have been drafting forever, you know, but like the normal folks that, that, um, that I have to talk to over on Yahoo in a couple of months here, the, the normal people who are like, oh, well, I've, th- I haven't thought about football or Matt Harmon. Yeah, he's a wide fine. receiver. You know, yeah, yeah. He's going to be, he's going to be like a, a 13th, 14th round right. pick pretty much. Like, and, and I think, and he's just a total smash there. And I think he's probably a smash too as like a ninth round pick as well, because yeah. I really like I really like the player. I think he's shown you just exactly what you want to see from an NFL X receiver. Um, I think he's got great ability to win on dig routes and slant routes and curl routes. Uh, but he also showed last year that he's a downfield player as well, 60.6% on success rate on nine routes. He's been a 71% success rate versus man coverage player, 74.5% against press. He looks, it, it kind of reminds you a little bit from a profile standpoint of like Michael Gallup as an X receiver, but I think he's got a little bit more bend and flexibility uh, than a guy like Gallup does necessarily. So, 
And Galvin's a guy who came out of nowhere, kind of had 1,100 yard season in his second season. And I feel like Nico Collins in his third year, now that he's going to have an actual quarterback, yeah. uh, could be that guy in his third season. It's basic analysis to say actual quarterback, but it's so true. I mean, 35.7% of Nico Collins' targets on throws 10 yards or further down the field were deemed inaccurate. Uh, 55.6% of his deep targets were deemed inaccurate. And that's from a wide variety of quarterbacks he caught passes from last year. And now we get C.J. Stroud, who accuracy and placement, you know this from watching all those wide receivers, whether it be front shoulder, back shoulder, face mask, between the numbers, all of it to, you know, downfield, intermediate, short, left, right, center. C.J. Stroud throws it to those spots of the field. And so, like, while his advanced stats and Nico Collins, like yards per route run and all this stuff might not be great. And I don't even know if it is. Um, this is, like, finally his opportunity to, like, make good on it. And and I'm with you. And dare I say I'm slightly in on, like, Robert Woods is wide receiver 86, but that's another conversation, too. Nico is this a, he's a watch the games player. Like if you're just looking at names on this depth chart, um, I get why it was like, yeah, who's CJ Stroud has to throw to. Cause I don't blame you for not watching Texans games the last few years. Um, but I think the plays you just showed for the YouTube folks, it's like, those are great. Like those are, he's, he's shown really well when you view him in isolation. And I kind of also think if he didn't get that groin injury last year, you know, cause he had kind of taken a step past Brandon cooks in that offense. And then he started to get banged up. And it's like, I think if that hadn't happened, we probably would already be talking about Nico Collins as a guy who broke out. It's just circumstances, the offense he's playing and the quarterback he's playing with. And then that injury, I think slowed things down, but like that, that breakout was already kind of happening last year. So I think yeah. If you when you get to double digit rounds, like Nico Collins is is there, and, and he, he's an auto pick to me. I think he's an easy breakout pick. And not to predict what type of offense Bobby Slowick is going to run, but hey, we've seen San Francisco 49er, you know, tree extensions land in other places. Um, dig route, slant route, some of his best routes. Yep. And, and and I think too, Josh. Again, we get caught up in the gadget players and like the create a touch stuff in the Shanahan offense. But I maintain that this offensive tree, whether you, any, any of the guys off it, but particularly like Shanahan specifically and, and the 49ers, they function best when they, they have an X receiver. Um, it, Debo Samuel was doing a lot of cool stuff at the front part of that 21 season, but the offense was not very like good. They were missing. They were clearly missing something. And then I think Ayuk has become that guy as the X receiver in San Francisco so important. Andre Johnson back in the Houston days, Julio Jones, obviously in the Falcons days. And look, I mean, if I'm rank, if I throw up those three names, Nico, it's like, and then Nico Collins, right? <laughs> but he fits in that archetype of an X receiver that I think is very important in this offense. Like, I'm not looking for the next Debo Sam or the next like Taylor Gabriel or you know, these create a touch type players. Right. I'm, but I'm, I want to know who's the X. Yeah. I want to know who the X receiver is. I think it's obviously Nico Collins. Speaking of gadgets, let's end with Rondell Moore. Uh, Wide receiver 60, 129 overall. Matt, at the very least, he graduated beyond the line of scrimmage last season. His average depth (laughs) of target jumped from like 1.4 yards to like 5.6. But what stood out to me, and by the way, he is one of Hayden's three sleepers at wide receiver. You can go check out that video. It's on the channel. Um, But the big reason why is that he played in two wide receiver sets last year on 77% of the snaps. Now, different coaching staff, different play caller, all that stuff. But you look at the depth chart and you wonder, is anyone going to eclipse Rondell Moore in two wide receiver sets even this season for the Cardinals? It better be Michael Wilson, man, because I I don't know. (laughs) I don't don't know that you can run a good offense with with him as an outside receiver. Uh, look, but from a fantasy perspective, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna fall, you know, ass backwards into some targets here, and and that's great. But I don't think we've seen enough to consider Rondell more like a. I think he he. You're right. He absolutely took steps from his rookie year to his second year in playing like real wide receiver. Because I wrote about Rondell Moore as a rookie that that was the weirdest reception perception profile of all time, and it wasn't. I mean, it was not even close. We're talking about he just wasn't really playing wide receiver in his no. in his first season, but he was more so as a second year player. And I think that he's a guy who could be a really quality slot receiver. Um, I, but I think. I do think Michael Wilson is a really important player to watch. Rocky profile, I get it, um, you know, but I think he showed X receiver traits at Stanford, 
like an ability to win against press man coverage, definitely a little bit of a, a journey at the catch point is Michael Wilson. Bit of a roller coaster there. But I think he could fit in as that X receiver. You have Marquise Brown as a flanker. I think Marquise Brown's one of the more underrated receivers in the NFL. Uh, and then I think Ronnie Moore would be a great slot receiver. I just got, I would be kind of surprised if he ever ends up being like a true outside receiver, even as a flanker. I think that's a bit of a stretch. Yeah, pretty amazing. He's still got eight targets per game, but uh, different offense. Different offense that we know that like new players come in. They just haven't invested that much uh, in the wide receiver position. Okay. He was the guy, though, that they, you know, Jonathan Gannon did the pew pew thing for, right? So, I mean, maybe That's he's got big something. plans for him. <laughs> That's worth something, I guess. Um, you all know Matt Harmon. You've loved him on the show before. You've loved him after the show specifically. Matt, what would you like to plug heading out of this episode? We've shown as much RP knowledge as possible. The podcast that you do is fantastic. You do shorter versions and longer versions at the exact same time. Um, and just great stuff you put out. Yeah, Reception Perception of the Show with James Coe. Obviously, love people to subscribe to that. Would love people to subscribe to the website. You know, these profiles we've been throwing up, there's so much more there. There's so much more coming. ReceptionPerception.com. We have three tiers of subscription, so I think there's something for everybody. You just want the profiles? You got a basic tier for that. You want every piece of Reception Perception data ever charted? I called you guys on underdogs here, freaks. We literally call that tier the sicko tier. Like, if you want that, you are a sicko. And we want you sickos, okay? So come on in. Like, so uh, we got some for everybody and the yahoo fantasy football podcast is the one that i host five days a week during the season it's gonna be a big season for that as well so hey man got a lot of stuff going on hope you all will come along for the ride absolutely love it all right you people go and keep drafting over an underdog go and lock in your nfl season pickums use the link in the description down below matt will match your first deposit up to 100 especially if you use oh. the show all right everyone talk to y'all soon